Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Today we're going to continue our study on the book of Matthew. Before we begin, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to study the Word of God. Speak to us today. Give us understanding and revelation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today we're going to uh, do a little bit of review, but not much, because I want to get into some brand new material. Before we do that, let me just kind of share a little something with you that was on my heart. Today, I was in the car with my son, and I have a King James Version audio Bible that's dramatized. And I was playing it for him, and he was riveted by the story. Um, and we came upon the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I told my son, I said, you know something that's so miraculous about this miracle? And he said, what's that? I said, the fact that if there had not been a boy that was willing to give up his lunch, the 5,000 plus would not have been fed. And uh, that's kind of the way it is. Sometimes God calls upon you to give the little bit that you have so that he can take it and multiply it. But so many times we want to stand back and argue with God say, Lord, I don't have the ability. God, I don't have the financial support. God, I don't have what I need, the talent or whatever it may be in order to accomplish what you're asking me to do. But if God asks you to do something, he's going to equip you for that task. Kind of like Moses said, Lord, they won't believe me. The Lord said, what is that in thine hand? Moses, the answer is in your hand. Throw the rod down and it turned into a snake. Uh, and then Moses keeps arguing and he says, Lord, I'm not able to speak. God says, who made man's mouth? If you just give God the little bit that you have, God can take it and multiply it. That way he gets the glory. The Bible says not many wise are called, not many noble, uh, so on and so forth. God uh, calls those that, that, are, that don't seem to be equipped by the world's standards so that he will get the glory. In fact, if you study the Old Testament prophet, uh, named Ezekiel, many scholars believe that Ezekiel was, was mute and not able to speak unless the Holy Spirit would come upon him and give him the ability to speak. So it was very supernatural what he would speak. And uh, in fact, if you do some more study on that, um, many times it, he was kind of an entertainment to them because they would wonder, well, uh, you know, when, when is God going to move on him? And any time God moved on him and he started speaking, they knew it was from God because he couldn't speak otherwise. That's what some uh, scholars believe. All right, so let's go ahead and go back to the book of Matthew. Hopefully that was a blessing to somebody because I just felt that on my heart. has nothing really to do with what I'm going to be teaching here today. Um, now, let's just do a, a, a tiny bit of review, and I'm going to have to move very, very quick. I talked in the last lesson, uh, specifically ending with talking about the wise men. They brought three types of gift, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, a gift for, uh, fit for a king. Uh, frankincense, a gift fit, uh, fit for a priest. And then uh, thirdly, myrrh, which was, uh, some believe, uh, was used to anoint bodies for burial. And uh, that would obviously be a gift for his Savior. We talked about the difference between Herod saying, I want to worship him also. But Herod would never see Jesus in the flesh because God knew what was in Herod's heart. Just because somebody professes that they worship God doesn't mean that they truly worship him. We're going to have to leave judgment in the hands of God. God knows who really is sincere and who isn't. And so God did not allow Herod to ever see his face. In fact, Herod's family line never saw uh, the miracles of Jesus. Okay, and then uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that what we closed with was Joseph uh, taking his family and fleeing into Egypt, which is a type of Israel. Uh, but also, something else that's interesting is that Egypt... Um, is uh, obviously kind of a type of the world. But one thing that's interesting is that Joseph in the Old Testament was the one responsible for sparing his family by bringing them into Egypt. Well, here we are in the New Testament. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, husband of Mary, 
calls them into Egypt to spare them. Okay, but they didn't stay there. Remember, what are the last words of Joseph in the Old Testament? He says, God will surely visit you, my brethren, and carry you up from hence. He said, take my bones with you. Don't leave me in Egypt. God does not intend for you to stay in Egypt. I believe they stayed in Egypt too long. I understand it was all part of prophecy being fulfilled by Abraham. But uh, I believe they stayed there too long. And when they stayed too long in Egypt, Egypt's practices got a hold of them because Egypt was about polytheism. Israel was about monotheism, the worship of one God versus the worship of many gods. Uh, uh, Egypt was uh, people that loved to build these large structures, but uh, Israel was on the move. Israel was shepherds. Egyptians hated shepherds. They really had nothing in common, but by Israel staying in Egypt too long, some of their practices got in them. For proof of that, what happened? When Moses goes up on the mountain, uh, and we know they, they come to Aaron, they say, we don't know what's become of him. Uh, make us gods. And what did Aaron make? He made a golden calf. Where'd they get that from? They got it from Egypt. What did they start saying when they got hungry? They said, please, we're sick of this manna. Give us meat like we used to eat in Egypt. So, uh, you know, they came out of Egypt, but Egypt had not gotten out of them. It's never the intention of God for us to stay in the world. We need to be in this world, but we're not of this world. Egypt's a type of the world. So they did not stay in Egypt, though. Joseph uh, went there temporarily, but then, uh, verse 15 of Matthew chapter 2, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, if you'll give me just a minute, there's a scripture that just hit me that I want to kind of call your attention to, because... He does present Jesus as fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, but in addition to fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, he also relives the life uh, or certain events in the lives of Israel and in the lives of Moses. And uh, for proof of this, if you go uh, to uh, the book of Exodus, what happens? Remember, Pharaoh orders that all of the male children be killed. What happens in the days of Herod? He orders that all the male children in Bethlehem, two years and older, uh, or two years and younger, be slain. And so, uh, one baby escapes in the days of Pharaoh. Well, what happens in the book of Matthew? One baby escapes. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's Moses. In the New Testament, it's Jesus. Okay. Now, notice what happens here. Uh, so obviously, we see that Moses uh, goes and he stays uh, away. Uh, he flees from uh, from Pharaoh in his house. He stayed in Pharaoh's house for a while, but he flees from Pharaoh's house until the death of that Pharaoh, and then God calls him to go back and deliver his people. Well, this this is kind of something similar here that we see in uh, the book of um, uh, Matthew because Jesus is called into Egypt. They stay there until the death of Herod. And so uh, let's just use this. Let me give you proof of this. Exodus chapter 2, verse number... Uh, Let's go to verse number uh, 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for, she, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. Okay, and it says, And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. And then the very next verse, uh, 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 the very next verse, yes, the next chapter, chapter 3, verse number 1, is where God uh, appears to Moses in that burning bush and calls him to go back and to deliver his people. So we see here the similarities in the life of Jesus and also the life of Moses.
Okay, so uh, let's go back to verse 15, though, of, of Matthew chapter 2, something I want to talk about there. It says, And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, uh, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now he's quoting Hosea 11 and 1. Now let me slow down a little bit. I understand I've been going rapid-fire pace. I was trying to get somewhere in a hurry so we could spend a little bit of time here. Uh, something that is kind of interesting is that a lot of scholars are, uh, I say liberal scholars by scholars, uh, that's what I mean, liberal scholars, uh, they debate this passage and they say, well, he misquoted here. This isn't, this isn't quite right because that's not the appropriate context. Well, if you go back to Isaiah 11 and 1, it says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So it's clearly speaking about a past event. But something you have to understand about prophecy is that it can have uh, multiple fulfillments. We already talked about uh, the abomination that make it desolate, fulfilled in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes IV in that uh, uh, intertestamental period. And then you've got it uh, also in the days of the Roman Emperor Titus when he comes in and destroys Jerusalem and over a million Jews are killed and Jerusalem's destroyed in 70 AD. And then also it has a future fulfillment because Paul mentioned, I believe it's in Second Thessalonians, yes it is, chapter number 2, where he talks about he that will exalt himself. Uh, and so obviously in, another abomination that make it desolate is going to happen in the future. So it can have multiple fulfillments. So while Hosea is speaking about a past event, it, uh, it can also have a future fulfillment. And so Jesus relived what Israel went through. He was called out of Egypt. He did not stay in Egypt. Let me just emphasize this. He did not stay in Egypt. Uh, remember, Joseph told his brethren, don't stay in Egypt. Carry up my bones from hence. It's not the will of God for you to stay in Egypt. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 17-18 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Revelation 18, 4-5 says, And I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, uh, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Can I say that if you become too attached with the world, you're going to still be here when the plagues of God are poured out. You need to constantly, constantly be looking up, like Jesus said Matthew chapter 24, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. Or maybe that's in the book of Luke. I apologize, I can't pull it up from my memory. But uh, in one of those where he's talking about end time events, he says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. So don't get distracted by what's going on in the world around us. I know right now the world is in chaos, but hey, uh, this ought to be n nothing for the child of God. We, we should grow to expect something like this. In fact, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. We need to look up. Our redemption draweth not. Don't become too attached to the world. Uh, if you hang on, try to hang on to two worlds, you're going to lose them both. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Get the world out of your heart. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus said those famous three words. Remember Lot's wife. Talking about she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Don't look back at the world. You've come out of the world. Don't look back at the world. Maybe I'm talking to a new convert right now. Don't look back. Get the world out of your heart. Come out of Egypt. Uh, I understand we're in the world right now, but we're we're, the purpose of Jesus Christ coming is to call us out of this world. We may be in it physically, but we're not supposed to be of it. All right, let's get back to our lesson. Matthew 2 and 16. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So this is obviously a type of what had happened when Israel was in Egypt under the command of Pharaoh. Uh, Exodus uh, 1 and 22, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. One child survived and, uh, in his day, and one child survived in the book of Matthew. Okay, but uh, a lot of uh, liberal people out there, uh, liberal scholars, would try to point to this passage and say, there is no historical record of, of Herod um, killing all of those children in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, and they said a mass a massacre like that would somehow wind up in history. Not necessarily so. Actually, Bethlehem, remember, was an extremely small town. So if you if you calculate that, and then you put also the fact that there were all kinds of wars going on uh, in in those days, and there were all kinds of deaths taking place premature births, things of that nature, all kinds of deaths going on. Herod, by the way, was known for his brutality, so that is backed up in history. In fact, it was his suspicion and jealousy that led to the murder of several of his children and even the death of his wife. And then the Jewish historian Josephus reported that Herod had arranged for many Jewish nobles to be murdered upon his death so that it would be ensured that, that the land would mourn his passing. So obviously he was a man given to brutality. So if he, if he killed all those male children two years old and young, or probably didn't amount. In fact, some have calculated, and, and I'm, hopefully I'm pulling this number up accurately. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think one calculated that it may have only been about 30 deaths. So uh, it would be uh, surprising then if it was only 30 children that died that it wouldn't even be recorded by history uh, other than here in this passage because of its uh, biblical significance. Okay, so let's go uh, back to the book of Matthew and flip with me, if you would, Matthew chapter number 2, and we're going to try to finish out this chapter here. Uh, Matthew chapter number 2, and uh, let's let's scroll down here to verse number uh 19, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. He shall be called a Nazarene. Okay, uh, Archelaus, the, the son of Herod the Great, uh, was somebody that inherited his father's violent traits. This is from a commentary. His rule over Judea signaled that the Holy Family should settle elsewhere. And so Joseph led his family to resettle in the obscure Galilean village of Nazareth, where Joseph and Mary had previously lived. You look at Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. Okay, uh, something that is kind of interesting here is, notice it says, so it would be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Again, liberal scholars will point to this and say, well, uh, you know, Matthew misapplied this passage. We don't have any scripture in the Old Testament that says literally he shall be called a Nazarene. However, if you look at the Hebrew consonants, um, in, in this in included here in this word encapsulated here it could be referring to branch and obviously if you look at uh, for instance uh, Zechariah chapter number three and uh, there's some others Isaiah chapter four verse number two uh, Isaiah 11 and one Jeremiah 23 and five Jeremiah 33:15 it told of a righteous descendant of David whose wise and just rule would be empowered by the spirit and who would bring salvation to Judah so 
uh, Matthew saw Jesus' hometown as a subtle clue to his identity as the Messiah. Once again, I'll, I'll just give credit to the source here. That is the King James Version Holman Study Bible Notes that I got that from. Um, one thing I will point out here, though, and these are my own words, not the words of a commentary. I only try to use commentaries when maybe my own knowledge is lacking on, on certain things. Uh, it says he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, you see a lot of paintings nowadays that show Jesus with long hair. That is not accurate, not in the least. I can prove with one verse of Scripture that Jesus did not have long hair. Um, and in fact, really it doesn't take a whole lot. But let's go over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 11. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Um, the Bible is very, very clear that Jesus did not have long hair. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 11. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. Would Paul really have written these words if Jesus had long hair? And I've, I've even heard quote-unquote Christians make the statement say, I love the fact that Jesus had long hair. It meant he was a rebel. I, I'm, I'm thinking... Do you read your Bible? Do, do, do you even think about what the Scripture is talking about there? He, the Bible did not say, and I'll tell you where they get that Jesus had long hair, because they claim Jesus was a Nazarite. Jesus was not a Nazarite. And, and they compare, obviously, being a Nazarite to the story of Samson, and his hair was never cut, on and on and on, until Delilah. But Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene, referring to where he grew up in Nazareth. He was not a Nazarite. And I can prove to you, he did not take the Nazarite vow. The Bible says he drank wine. You couldn't do that. Uh, go back and look at, at Samson. You couldn't do that as a Nazarite. Uh, the Bible says he touched dead bodies. You couldn't do that as a Nazarite. Uh, so obviously, Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. He did not have long hair. Paul would not have penned the words, it's a shame for a man to have long hair, if Jesus had had long hair. So get that those pictures of Jesus with long hair and that kind of effem effeminate look. Uh, get that out of your mind, that Jesus did not look that way. Um, and, and so many times you see him with this long, flowing hair and this handsome physique and uh, this strong physique and, you know, almost barely clothed as his clothes is falling off of him. Uh, you, let me just let me just be honest with you here today, and I want to be careful with how I say this, but uh, a lot of the guys that painted those pictures painted kind of a fantasy of what they wanted Jesus to look like, but Jesus did not look that way. Jesus was a strong Jewish male. Uh, the Bible says that... Uh, there was no comeliness in him. He was not a handsome man. There's nothing about his appearance that would have drawn people to him. What drew people to him was the love of God that they felt flowing out of him, was the power of God, was the authority with which he spake, was the miracles, the signs and wonders, his teaching. Um, and, and so these are the things that drew people to Jesus, not his handsome appearance and, and, and muscular physique and uh, effeminate look. Th those weren't the things that drew people to Jesus. So, I'll move on, but I, I wanted to say that before we go any further, because uh, there, there are so many people out there that believe Jesus had long hair. So, let's start Matthew chapter 3. We're not going to get too far into it, but let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea 
So we're going to discuss three aspects of this verse. Who was John the Baptist? Number one, who was John the Baptist? Number two, we're going to talk about what John the Baptist preached. Number three, we're going to talk about when he preached. So part one, who was John the Baptist? John was identified by Matthew in verse three. For this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now go back to our Bible 101 series where we start talking about the New Testament, uh, where I really discussed that passage in detail. I'm not going to get into that here. But it is recorded in Isaiah 40 and 3. It says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Very clear uh, reference here to the deity of Jesus. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, who came? Jesus came. So, notice that his job was to prepare the way of the Lord, all caps, Yahweh. Uh, this is a clear reference to Jesus as Lord. Jesus identified John the Baptist as the Elijah, which was prophesied to come. Go to Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Okay, Elijah was fresh on their minds because they had just seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration. The appearance of Moses and Elijah has led many to speculate that Moses and Elijah will precede the coming of the Lord in the last days. Talking about the two witnesses. I'm not going to get into all that because that's, that's prophecy and that's not my area of expertise. But you can read about that in the book of Revelation chapter 11 verses 3 through 13. Okay, uh, some things that I, I will mention though uh, that is kind of interesting is the prophecy they're referring to there that Elias coming is Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 through 6 behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse notice Jesus's words carefully he first said that Elijah shall come future tense Matthew 17 11 Jesus answered said to them Elias truly shall come shall first come and restore all things. But in the next breath, he declared that Elijah had already come. Matthew 17, 12. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Okay, the next verse makes it clear Jesus was speaking about John the Baptist because in Matthew chapter 17, verses, uh, verse 13, then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was the Elijah prophesied to come. Yet it would seem from Jesus' words in verse 11 that it might have a future fulfillment at a later date. Now you might ask yourself the question, how was John the, Bap uh, John the Baptist the Elijah to come? Okay, they had some similarities. At, at, on first glance you might look and say, well, John the Baptist did not perform a single miracle, but Elijah performed miracles. Elijah called fire down from heaven. Uh, you know, he, did, uh, he raised the dead. Uh, obviously he didn't do it. God did it through him, but you, you understand what I'm saying here. John the Baptist didn't do any of those things, but number one, notice the way they dressed. Matthew 3 and 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Now notice this, 2 Kings 1, 7-8. So describing the appearance of, of Elijah, it says this, And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was an hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. 
Okay, so number one, the way they dress is very similar. Number two, they both spent time in the wilderness. Matthew 3 and 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. 1 Kings 19, verse number 4. Uh, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And we know he spent he would often spend time in the wilderness. Point number three, they both confronted evil kings that were married to evil women. 1 Kings 21, 25, but there was none like an Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. Matthew 14, 3-4 For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. So that's similar. Point number four. They both preached a message of repentance, turning from sin and turning to God. What did Elijah do? He called them to turn away from their bell worship and turn to the living God. What did, Matt, what did uh, John the Baptist do? Excuse me, Matthew 3 and 2 in saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord on Mount Carmel and through divine demonstration caused the people to fall on their faces saying, The Lord, He is God. Well, uh, this is the same thing that John the Baptist did, calling the people away from uh, from their just normal uh, living and calling them to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, now we talked about who was John the Baptist. Now let's talk about what he preached. Matthew 3 and 2, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, we've mentioned this many times before, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But repentance, obviously in the Greek, metanoia, means a change of mind. It involves a turning with contrition from sin to God. The repentant sinner is in the proper condition to, to accept divine forgiveness or to receive it. Uh, the word repent or some equivalent occurs 60 times in the New Testament. There are various ingredients of repentance that uh, I, I'll just speak about real quick. The attitude that leads to repentance, number one. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world uh, 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 produces death. That's the New King James Version, just a little bit clearer there. Uh, okay, and then uh, point number two, you have to confess your sin. You have to feel godly sorrow. You have to confess your sin, 1 John 1 and 9. Uh, number three, forsake your sin, Proverbs 28, 13. Number four, separate yourself from old influences that drag you back into that lifestyle of sin, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Uh, and, and then we could read other references, but I've gone into that before. Okay, so remember, uh, he, he preached repent, but notice uh, something, is that why did he preach repent? He said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the purpose in him preaching. Uh, now, repentance was also the message that the prophets of old had preached. Remember that 400 years had passed since the Old Testament era, and it had been a long time since a prophetic voice had arisen to declare the message of repentance. He preached in the wilderness of Judea, and this comes from the Archaeological Study Bible here. The wilderness of Judea stretched some 20 miles from the Jerusalem-Bethlehem Plateau down to the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, perhaps the same region where John the Baptist lived. So his preaching drew a crowd because it was like cool water in the middle of a desert. It had been many years since the last prophet Malachi had spoken to his people the words of God. And you remember the condition that uh, it was in when Malachi preached. He said they were falling right back into the trap uh, of, yes, they had a temple. Maybe they were relaxing the fact they had a temple, but they were bringing blemished sacrifices. They were disobeying the law by treating their wives wrong. Uh, they, they were not uh, treating their brethren right. And so finally, it's just like God walks off the scene and says, all right, Israel, have it your way. And so for 400 years, 
Uh, God is silent to them. He does not send them a prophetic voice. Uh, but then John the Baptist, 400 years pass, and he steps on the scene and he begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now think about all these years that had passed. Many other prophets had preached that the Messiah is coming, but John the Baptist steps on the scene and he preaches, repent. I'm telling you, it's coming. And some probably said, oh, we've heard this message before. But notice when he preached the timing. All right, Mark brought out a, a, a prophecy about John. Mark uh, 1, 1 through 3, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 2 is a quote from Malachi 3 and 1 and 2. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly... Come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. Now there's a lot I could say about that. Notice that John the Baptist's job is to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord to his temple. In the context of Malachi's prophecy, the people look forward to the day of the Lord, believing that it would be a great day for the Jews. However, Malachi said that God would come to purify John the Baptist preached repentance, but there was a reason why he preached repentance when he preached it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, Matthew presents Jesus as king. Therefore, the theme of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven will be recurring throughout. Kingdom of God is mentioned five times in Matthew. Kingdom of heaven is mentioned 32 times. Interestingly enough, according to the book of Matthew, there is a present and a future aspect to the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like present tense, to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Matthew 25 and 1. Then shall future tense, the kingdom of heaven, be likened under ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. So we'll discuss this in future lessons. The kingdom of heaven, or God, I believe there are interchangeable terms here, uh, is defined as the rule that God exercises through the person, work, and teachings of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven began when God himself entered human history as a man. Today, Jesus Christ reigns in the hearts of believers, but the kingdom of heaven will not be fully realized until all evil in the world is judged and removed. Remember, he sits at the right hand of God until his enemies be made his footstool. Christ came to earth first as a suffering servant. He will come again as king and judge to rule victoriously over all the earth. And the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. John warned the people to change their hearts and lives because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. So Matthew 3, 5, and 6 says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. So notice, he baptized those that confessed their sins. <clears throat> Later in the book of Acts, we are told of the purpose for John's baptism. Acts 19.4, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. So John the Baptist baptized with water, signifying the repentance of the individual. His message pointed the way to Jesus, and so it was not a saving baptism, but it was a baptism of preparation. Matthew 3 and 11, I indeed baptize you unto uh, with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bury he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire uh, now real, real real quick we're going to talk about the history of baptism first you must understand it was not unique to John the Baptist in the Old Testament rites of immersion were associated with maintaining ritual purity especially for priests Leviticus 15 uh, 16 and 4 in verse 24 
And during the New Testament period, water itself and immersion in water functioned as the primary means by which ritual impurity was removed within Pharisaic Judaism. Read Matthew 15 and 5, John 2 and 6. Uh, baptism was also practiced by the Essene community as a symbolic act by which one was made holy by the waters of repentance. Then during the first century A.D., certain groups within Judaism began to practice proselyte baptism, a rite that required converts, in addition to uh, male circumcision, to undergo immersion in a ritual bath prior to their full reception into the community. Then purification through immersion in ritual baths were, was required for all Jews in order to preserve the state of purity without which they could neither enter the temple nor participate in services in its uh, services during major festivals. You can read Numbers 9 and 10, John 11 and uh, 55, Acts 21, 24 through 27, and Josephus Wars uh, 1.11.6. Okay, so repentance and baptism went hand in hand in John's day, and it would later go hand in hand after Jesus' resurrection and the outpouring of the day uh, on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.38, then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. So repentance again goes hand in hand. The difference between John's baptism and the baptism in Jesus' name by the apostles was the accompaniment of the Holy Ghost, also the, the uh, application of the name of Jesus. John would not baptize anyone that refused to repent, Matthew 3, 7 through 12. Uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, who shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now there is so much I could say about this. Uh, just for a little bit of reminder about our Between the Testament study, the Pharisees was a strict religious group uh, that had added many laws to the original law. They were uh, hypocritical, and they will serve as, as some of Jesus' strongest opponents. Then there was the group of the Sadducees, who only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament as Scripture. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, which the Pharisees did believe in. John knew that they had only come... Uh, out because of jealousy, so he refused to baptize them. He said, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. In other words, show me proof that you've repented. Fruit was a proverbial way of speaking of a person's works or lifestyle. That is why he went on to say, and now, notice, notice what he's saying here, now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. He says, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. God was coming to judge the fruit of the Jews. They had a space to repent, and that was John's message. Jesus would come and give them another chance. Unfortunately, most of the Jews rejected Jesus, and this opened the door uh, for the Gentiles. The rejection of Jesus will lead to the judgment of the Jewish nation, culminating, or I'm speaking future tense, culminating in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, in which over a million people were slaughtered, most of which were Jews. So think about it. Jesus came, uh, he was crucified, 
<clears throat> so they had a space to repent, but because they rejected the message of Jesus in 70 AD, the Lord surely visited them. Remember what Jesus said when he came to the temple. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would gather you together as, as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings. You were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. He said, you won't see me anymore until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But what happened uh, uh, in that same spot? Obviously, uh, the Roman uh, 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 General Titus came in. Over a million Jews were slaughtered. They said bodies were stacked on top of one another. And then the temple was completely demolished and destroyed. Not one stone was left upon another. So for hundreds, even thousands of years, they had been preaching about the coming of the Messiah. Some had lost hope. Some had turned to other forms of religion or abandoned religion altogether. And here the Pharisees and Sadducees have comfortable places in the temple. They despised Herod. Yet they submitted to him, per se, because he gave them positions of power. So they weren't interested in Jesus. They weren't interested in his coming. Probably one of the reasons they were so blinded to the prophecies is because uh, they were blinded by their prestige and their power and their money and their fame. But, but now John said, hey, you've been allowed to escape for a while now. You've been set up in these positions of power. But I'm telling you that now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And if you don't bear good fruit, you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so did they lose their positions of power? Absolutely. Uh, did, was that, that temple, that semblance of religiosity destroyed? Absolutely. Did the Jews suffer because of their rejection of Jesus? Absolutely. So I think this is a good place to stop. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to study the Word of God. I'm asking God that you would help us uh, to remember, Lord, that repentance is not just about words. It's not praying uh, little prayers and crying crocodile tears, but it's about a true turn from sin, a true leaving behind of our sinful lifestyle. Help us to truly repent, to turn to you. Remember, this world is not our home. Help us, Jesus, to remember, um, Lord God, that you've called us out of the world. We love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening.